0: Good morning. That might be the only time you've ever called me Pastor Chris. I'm not sure, but I think so. Can I get a little more light here? How are you guys doing? I've missed you. Apparently, that's a one-way feeling. All right. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Whoo. Uh, No, I can't tell you how good it is for me to be back. I mean, I had just a great, relaxing, productive time away, a real time of growth and spiritual renewal and refreshment for me, for our family. Uh, The study break was just really productive and, and, like I said, spiritually refreshing and had some good family time also, lots of fun, saw some old friends and some even some other family extended family had a great chance to encourage them and be encouraged by them so uh, so thanks, thanks for giving me that opportunity and for praying for me and um, you know that 's something i 'd love to to build in for our our next pastor every summer to be able to kind of take some time and uh, Time away to grow and to think and those kinds of things. So we'll see how that goes. But I was really encouraged too by the messages that I heard here at Trinity. I watched them online. And you all got the joy of hearing from people who were all uh, taller than me. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And I was privileged to be able to pray for so many of you guys, pray for Trinity. Thanks for those of you who filled out. uh, prayer cards, I really appreciated those, and uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back, glad to share with you what I have to say this morning, this important message for us, and I just love being here, love being able to open up the Bible together, to to sing to the Lord, I'm a terrible, terrible singer, but uh, standing in the front, I can hear everybody else singing behind me, so that makes me sing a little bit louder, I'm sure Vonette is like, but that's Okay. Uh, Glad to be here, and uh, I just want to say I love this church. I love you guys. I love being here. I missed you while I was away, so that's a good thing, right, (laughs) you know? Uh, But glad to be here and excited to continue our series, Wildfire. Um, This journey through the book of Acts, and, uh, you know, we've already learned so many great things from this book of Acts. We've seen the powerful role that the Holy Spirit played in the early church that he wants to play here in our church and our lives as individuals as well. And uh, we've seen this this mission that Jesus gave, this commission to go and make disciples and the, the whole reason for the church, it exists to be able to uh, to fulfill that mission. And we've learned about the power and the, the prominence of prayer in the life of the early church. And we even got to practice that a little bit last week. That's fun. And uh, a little bit awkward, maybe even, but mostly fun. And, uh, and it's an important discipline for us, uh, f- for sure. And as we've journeyed through the book of Acts, we've talked a lot about God. We've talked about Jesus, the Son. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit. Uh, continually gives glory to the risen Lord Jesus. We've talked about how God reveals himself as Yahweh, the one true God, and we've come to see God work in really amazing ways, and we're not even like halfway done with the book of Acts, so there's more great stuff to come. And and in case you're a guest or in case you just aren't paying attention, I've been out of town for a few weeks. Uh, My family took a trip to Colorado Springs and you know, taking a road trip with eight people is an adventure in and of itself. doesn't matter where you're going. You could go to the grocery store with eight people, and it's like an adventure, you know what I mean? But our family, all things considered, we travel pretty well. I mean, we, we try to limit the stops we make, which is not easy with toddlers in the car, you know? But when we do stop, we want to make it worthwhile, we we'll want to have some fun, and see some interesting stuff along the way. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we like to do is uh, to kind of pass the time in the car. We like to play the, the license plate game. You know, you look for license plates from other states. Anybody do that? All right, yeah, yeah. So uh, our family likes to do that. And on this trip, I'm very, very pleased to report. This might be the most significant accomplishment in my lifetime, but I'm pleased to report we found all 50 states. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was amazing. Plus a couple of Canadian provinces, so that's exciting. Yeah, no, uh, that's not the most significant accomplishment, but it was fun. It was fun. And this morning, I want to take us uh, collectively on a road trip. I want us to pack our whole... Faith, family, in the car and we 're going to take a trip together we 're going to journey through the new testament and uh, we 're going to journey to a place that 's important that 's really important and a place that really I think we 've needed to get to for a long time now and uh, we 're going to see some some helpful stops along the way and so this sermon is really just going to be a road trip for us all a family trip so So hop in the car and and let 's go. I hope you went to the restroom already because we 've already picked out the places where we're going to stop, and uh, we're journeying through the New Testament. We're going to start, of course, in the book of Acts, this book that, that explores the role of the Holy Spirit in the church, and yet today, really, our attention is going to be on, on human leaders, um, because that's the way Jesus created the church. He, he commissioned His apostles to be witnesses to all that He said and did, and then He left, Right? He left these human leaders in charge. And I don't want to second-guess God by any means, but I must say it strikes me as a little puzzling that, that Jesus, this perfect in every way uh, leader, would think that turning the leadership of the church over to a bunch of imperfect people would be a good plan, and yet uh, uh, that's what he did. But, you know, you and I, we know that humans are really only good at one thing, at screwing things up. Right? I mean, uh, and that's in fact exactly what happens in the passage that we're going to start with today. This is the beginning of our road trip. It does not take very long for these human leaders to, to realize they got problems. They've gathered all these people together, they've been discipling all these uh, people, shepherding them all, and somehow they're not able to do it quite as flawlessly as Jesus himself did. I mean, they're human leaders, and they've got to get creative in order to make this ministry work the same way that Jesus' ministry seemed to run so flawlessly when he was on earth. And so... I want us to look at the problem that they encounter, and then we're going to explore their solution as we go on a road trip. So uh, look with me at Acts chapter 6, Acts 6. We're going to start right in verse 1. You'll see it on the screens as well. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, and they said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So let's stop right there for just a minute. so this is the problem. You may recall from the end of Acts chapter 2 that the church was in the habit of, of gathering all their resources together and distributing them to people who had need. And so, so they're taking care of all these people who are less fortunate among them, particularly widows. And, you know, in this culture, widows had no opportunity to earn any money for themselves. They were particularly dependent on other people. But Uh, There's a lot of diversity here, a lot of diverse people in this church, and it seems like the distribution of food is not really happening in the most equitable way. And so some of the believers who are are not from Israel, from from other parts of the world, they, they complain that their widows weren't getting a fair treatment. So that's the problem. One group of widows getting preferential treatment over over the other. And this problem, it makes its way all the way up to the top. It starts with just just mumbling or, or complaints and murmurs. And the problem makes its way all the way up to the 12 disciples, these apostles, who are tasked with the, the highest level of spiritual leadership. And at first glance, you know, we read their response to this. It seems like the they're, the twelve, they're dismissive of the problem. You know, like they're saying, "Hey, we're too important to deal with this. You guys work it out on your own. This problem's beneath us." But, but that's not really the case at all. The twelve, they realize that Jesus gave them a very specific job to do, a specific task of leadership. And so they acknowledge the problem, and they acknowledge the need for a solution, but they also acknowledge that they're not the ones to take on this problem. They have a specific role already that God has given them. And so they affirm the need to stay focused on their own leadership, specifically the the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the Word. They can't sacrifice that important role to take on this food problem. They have a role as, as spiritual leaders, and, and this job is for some, some wise people, some very practical people. So what are they going to do about it? Well, their solution is to empower some other leaders, uh, a different group of leaders, leaders who have a different skill set. And this group's no less important. I mean, look at their qualifications. Look at verse 3. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So that's the qualifications needed for this very practical, uh, boots-on-the-ground kind of leader. And so now they've got two leadership groups. Both these leadership groups are important. Uh, the spiritual leaders devoted to spiritual guidance of the church, and these very practical leaders devoted to serving the church in practical ways. Both are important. And the result of this proposed solution, that's what comes next in the passage. Look at verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, hard name, other hard name, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So these seven deacons are chosen, and they take on this practical need that the church has. And notice the overall result. The Word of God spread. When the spiritual leaders are doing what they're supposed to do, and the practical leaders are doing what they're supposed to do, then the ministry is blessed. The Word of God spreads. Both these leadership groups are doing what they're specifically tasked with doing, both leading the church in different ways. Okay, So what, you know, why is this passage helpful to us? I mean, it's of all the passages in the book of Acts that we could read, uh, why this one? It's helpful to us because their solution, creating these two different leadership groups, it sets something very significant in motion. These human leaders that Jesus left in charge of the church, they make a decision here that ripples all the way through the centuries to us today. So talking about this passage, we're really talking about ourselves. It's a road trip of self discovery. We're going to learn some important things about our own faith family on this journey. And this is our starting point. It starts with this truth. When a church is well led, the word of God spreads. When a church is well led, the word of God spreads. That's our starting point. God works in churches with healthy leadership. So, with that starting point, let's go on the journey. We're going to take this road trip through the New Testament. We're going to look at a lot of passages this morning, and I mean uh, a lot. And And uh, we're journeying through almost the whole New Testament. And so you can follow along on the screen so that you're not distracted by flipping around in your Bible, and it sounds kind of funny to say that you'd be distracted by reading your Bible instead of listening to me, but hopefully you understand what I mean. You know, we're going to be working through pretty quick, and so by the time you find it, we might be on to the next one, that kind of a thing. So just hang with me. Watch the screens. I made the slides uh, nice and large, so you ought to be able to read them without any problems. And so... So here we go, we're going to start in Acts, and the first passage needs just a little bit of setup. The the church leaders in Jerusalem, they hear that the gospel has really taken off in the city of Antioch this other city. And so this is intriguing to them. They want to find out more. They send Barnabas to go and investigate and bring back a report. Well, Barnabas picks up Paul on the way, and the two of them spent a lot of time teaching all these new believers in Antioch. And and then we get to this first passage. Take a look. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up. And through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So in this passage, this church in the city of Antioch sent some money and other aid to the original church back in Jerusalem. And notice who they sent it to, the elders, This group of spiritual leaders. So that's our very first passage. This group of spiritual leaders is called elders. Remember that. Let's keep traveling together. Later on in the book of Acts, there's this big debate. I'm not going to go into the details of the debate, but it's significant. It needs significant spiritual leadership in order to sort it out. Some folks are doing some false teaching, and Paul and Barnabas find out about it. So let's pick up the story. Take a look. Uh, This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, the false teachers. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So again, notice this church in Jerusalem is led by a group of elders, but notice also it's a group that's different from the apostles, a separate group. The apostles, these original leaders of the church, these these men who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, but they've apparently appointed elders, this group of spiritual leaders, to shepherd the church. Elders have that role of spiritual leadership. And as they discuss this important issue, the passage tells us who's deciding it. It says the apostles and elders met to consider this question. Both these groups are studying the Scriptures, praying to decide this big issue. Both are involved in spiritual leadership. And as they craft this letter to send out to all the churches, it comes from both groups. The letter starts out this way, the apostles and elders, your brothers, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. So these, these elders have a significant role, as significant as the apostles in terms of spiritual leadership. So on our road trip, here's our first stop, our first landing point. Remember, we started with this premise, when a church is well led, the word of God spreads. And now we get to the first stop. Let's make some sense of these verses that we've looked at. In the first passage, Acts 6, we see two leadership groups, a spiritual leadership, practical leadership group, and now we can give some names to these groups. There's these apostles and elders, these groups of spiritual leaders, and in Acts 6, we saw the formation of this practical group, Uh, those are the deacons. So in terms of church leadership, this original church in Jerusalem has three groups of leaders, the apostles, the elders... And they have the deacons. So that's stop number one. What about the other churches? I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they go all over the Roman Empire, starting churches wherever they go. What kind of leadership do those churches have? Well, the answer comes in our next passage. Let's get back on the road. Let's keep going. The passage picks up with Paul and Barnabas in a city called Derby. Take a look. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So here we see Paul and Barnabas appointing elders in several different churches. And this is the very first missionary journey, so the the pattern from the beginning was for Paul to appoint elders, a group of spiritual leaders in every single church. All the churches have the same leadership structure, a group of spiritual leaders called elders. A little more for us to see. As we keep journeying, we see Paul again. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's not sure if he's ever going to see all these folks. He's discipled over the years, so he gathers a bunch of them to say farewell. Look at Acts chapter 20. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So... Just a simple short verse, but it indicates this church in Ephesus was also led by a group of elders. That's the system Paul established there, just as he did in all these other churches he started. All these churches are led by a group of elders. Even the church in Jerusalem that had the original apostles, they still have a group of elders, separate group from the deacons. We see the same leadership structure of the church in Philippi. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians. We studied it earlier in the year in our Choose Joy series. The letter to the Philippians starts off this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So in this letter, uh, Paul addresses the whole church, all God's holy people. But he also specifically mentions overseers. Now that word translated overseers, the same term that's translated elders in the passages we looked at. Elders and overseers are the same thing. So this church in Philippi followed the same model as all the other churches in the New Testament, led by a group of elders or overseers. But notice also there's this other group mentioned here. Paul mentions the whole church, he mentions these elders or overseers, and he mentions the deacons. So there's evidence that just like the original church in Acts chapter 6 that we started with, here's two groups, two groups of leaders, elders and deacons, both present in the original church and they're both present here at Philippi, one devoted to spiritual leadership, one devoted to practical leadership. A couple more passages. The next few passages I want us to see, I think, are particularly helpful because they're addressed to a very broad audience. Unlike Paul's letter to the Philippians, that's just written to one church, this next Uh, passages, they come from letters addressed to a broad audience, more than one church. So uh, let's start with the book of James. James is written to many churches. James says uh, the church is scattered among the nations, so basically like every church everywhere, right? And listen to this bit of advice he gives to these churches. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So his advice for people who are sick is to gather the elders of their local church. This is significant because his assumption is that all these churches he's writing to have a group of elders. James expects that there will be a group of elders in all these churches to which this letter is sent. You could draw a similar conclusion from the next passage. Peter writes a letter. It's sent to a broad number of churches. He assumes each church also has a group of elders. He says this, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, he says. Peter's writing to a variety of churches all over the world, churches made up of primarily Jews, churches made up of primarily Gentiles, churches founded by Paul, churches founded by other people, churches with tons and tons of differences. But the one thing they seem to have in common is their leadership. They're all led by a group of elders. So here comes stop number two. In in stop one, we saw the structure of the original church in Jerusalem. They had apostles, elders, and deacons. Here we see the structure of all these other churches. Every single one of these churches has uh, two distinct groups of leaders, elders and deacons. That's stop number two. So I imagine you're starting to get the picture, right? The clear model of leadership in the church is a group of elders, a separate group of from the deacons, two distinct groups in all these churches in the New Testament. But one thing we haven't talked about yet is pastors, right? I mean, don't pastors have some leadership in the church? I hope so. Well, let's hop back in the car. Let's keep driving through the New Testament and see. This next passage, I think, is particularly significant. Paul writes this letter to his his young protege named Titus. And he sends Titus to Crete, to the island of Crete, to help the churches there get established. And listen to what instructions Paul gives to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was so that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus' first order of business is to identify a group of elders to lead the church. Now that's significant. Because Paul, he's established a lot of churches with groups of elders to lead them. But Paul, he's always started the church, established the elders, and then left, right? Well, here things are different. Paul sends a leader to the church in Crete. Titus is a leader. He's a pastor. And yet Paul tells him the best leadership structure is a group of elders. Remember, when a church is well-led... The Word of God spreads, and Paul says here the best thing that Titus can do to lead the church is to appoint a group of elders that will serve as spiritual leaders. And he appoints them in every town so that each local church is led by a group of elders from within that church. So that's our journey through the New Testament, and the big idea is, I hope, clear that churches are led by a group of elders. Not just by one leader, one pastor, but churches are led by a group of elders. It's a different group from a group of deacons, as we saw. Two distinct groups with different purposes. And even when there's a pastor present like Titus, the churches are still led by a group of elders. In every church and in every town, as the Scriptures indicate, no matter how large or small, churches are led by a group of elders. So that's a significant discovery. Churches are led by a group of elders, distinct from deacons, two different groups, one spiritual leaders, one practical leaders, and it forces us to ask some important questions. Who is an elder? Who gets to have that significant role of spiritual leadership? How does a church identify the people among them who might be elders? And to answer those questions, we've got to get back in the car. We've got to hit the road. Look for a couple more passages. I hope you stretched your legs, went to the bathroom. It's time to get back on the road. Let's keep trucking. There's two main places where the qualifications for elders are laid out. We're going to look at those passages briefly. The first comes from the book of Titus. You recall Paul sent Titus, this young pastor, to Crete with the task of appointing elders. And and Paul provides a list of qualifications. So uh, what to look for as these elders are appointed. Look at Titus chapter (coughs) 1. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer, remember overseer and elder, the same word, uh, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So there's a lot of qualifications here. I'm not going to break down the whole list in detail, but I want us to realize it's a high standard. The key word is, is perhaps right there at the beginning, blameless. A man who is blameless is qualified to be an elder, a spiritual leader, In God's church. There's another more comprehensive list of qualifications. Paul also gives instructions to Timothy about the qualifications of an elder or overseer. That list is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to Paul's words. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So again, I'm not going to break down the whole list in detail. That's a sermon for another time, perhaps, but, uh, but the key word at the beginning of this list, too, just like the list from Titus, that list said blameless. This list says above reproach. That's the gold standard for leadership in God's church. Elders are blameless. They're above reproach. That's the kind of person who's qualified to be a spiritual leader in God's church, blameless and above reproach. Now, we started this journey by acknowledging that Jesus has an unusual plan for church leadership. Jesus, who's perfect in every way, left the church in the hands of flawed people, first the apostles and then in every other church in the New Testament in the hands of elders and deacons. And we said that when a church is well-led... The Word of God spreads, but if these leaders are flawed people, how can an elder be blameless? How can they be above reproach? Well, the answer to that question is the third stop on our journey. As you know, we've called this series Wildfire. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit, to the work of of the Holy Spirit, working through people, spreading the message of the church like wildfire. And as we consider how an elder, a leader of God's church, could be blameless, then the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit provides the answers. So churches are led by elders, elders are led by the Holy Spirit. That's stop number three. Churches are led by elders, and elders are led by the Holy Spirit. A vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit is the only way that a person could be blameless or above reproach. A man who would be an elder in God's church must have significant spiritual maturity, must be led by the Holy Spirit in every area of his life. That's how Jesus can leave the church in the hands of flawed people, because ultimately the Holy Spirit is leading them. Now, these passages, these lists of qualifications for elders, they're the same uh, lists that our pastoral search team is, is using to guide us as we identify our next pastor. These qualifications, they're the same things we want in our pastor, which makes us ask the question, isn't an elder just another word for pastor? I mean, a spiritual leader of a church, right? If the qualifications are the same, are the jobs the same? Well, yes and no. We've almost come to the end of the journey, this journey of discovery, but there is one more stop, and this one is important. One more passage I want us to learn from. In order for us to understand the difference between a pastor and an elder, one more stop. The last passage comes from 1 Timothy 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So this passage describes some of the ways in which elders lead the church. One of the roles elders have is mentioned right here, preaching and teaching. That's a role for elders. And so in this sense, I'm acting as an elder right now, right? I have the responsibility and the honor of preaching and and shepherding myself and the rest of us in these ways. So in one sense, pastors and elders are the same. An elder has a job of preaching and teaching, which is what a pastor is called to do. But I want us to notice something else in this passage. Not every elder is responsible for preaching and teaching. Only some of them are. Look at the verse again. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Some of them have the work of preaching and teaching, which means some of them do not. So there are elders who are pastors like me, and there are elders who are not. They're lay elders, equally responsible for spiritual leadership in the church. And so we could say it this way. All pastors are elders, but not all elders are pastors. That's stop number four on our journey. Not all elders are pastors. So as we wrap up this this journey together, let me just summarize some things for us. First of all, Jesus leaves the church in the hands of human leaders. And we started this journey by saying, when a church is well led, the word of God spreads. And we learn that the church, when it's well led, is led by two distinct groups. Elders who have spiritual leadership and deacons who have practical leadership. Every church in the Bible has the same leadership structure. And not all elders are pastors, but all elders should be spiritually mature so that the church is led by elders, but elders are led by the Holy Spirit. And as we consider this teaching from the Scriptures, I want us to to leave with a couple of takeaways. First, I want us to realize, ultimately, this is where our church should be, with two distinct groups of leaders, elders and deacons. And that's not a reactionary kind of a decision. It's the clear model of the Scripture, how churches should be structured. So let me encourage you to be in Prayer for this church, for the existing leadership, it's a decision we've talked about for many years now, and uh, we need wisdom to be able to align ourselves with the Scriptures in this area. And secondly, let me just challenge some of you, uh, those of you who might be interested in church leadership, measure yourself against these qualifications we looked at in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. What areas do you need to grow in? Do you need to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit in order to be a leader on this kind of level? Finally, I want us to notice just one more time what the result of a church that's structured according to God's plan. Look back at Acts chapter 6, right where we started. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The Word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly. That's exactly what we want to see right here in our valley. And this model is one step in the journey to get there. The church is led by elders. Elders are led by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your Word, your Word that teaches us not only how we as individuals should live, but how we as a faith family should live together, should operate together, Lord. And uh, we praise you for your wisdom in uh, leaving us your Holy Spirit to guide this faith family, to guide uh, every single one of us ultimately in becoming more and more in the image of your Son, We praise you for the way that, as we already said this morning, you have justified us, and you have sanctified us, and you are continuing to work in our hearts. Pray that you would apply uh, these truths to us as a church. Help us to be measuring ourselves against the standard of being like you in every way. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.